0: Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Today, we start a series on the book of Colossians. Colossal. And I do believe and I do pray that we will be blessed in a great way. Now, it's not going to be an in-depth study. Colossians is not a very big book. It's only four chapters. But do you know that I know there are some pastors that have spent up to six months on this book. They go verse by verse and it is wonderful, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to deal with one chapter per Sunday and we're going to look at some overall things, but we will read all the verses of Colossians. This is not going to be a study when I take a topic and then I see what the Bible says about that topic. That's called a topical study. This is called an expository sermon or an expository sermon because it is the text, it is the book which exposes the topics which you're going to talk about. So my sermon notes are actually the book itself, because I can just follow through and talk about whatever the book is talking about. And I believe that as we go through this book over the next three weeks, that the Lord will speak to us, speak to us as a church, and speak to us as individuals. It may happen that as you hear the message that the Holy Spirit will speak to you personally or that he will open your understanding to something that you didn't quite understand before. Maybe you've got questions in your mind about the Christian life, about your background, about different beliefs and systems in the soul, philosophies. And I pray that as we go through this study, the Lord would speak to you. He might even answer some of your questions. Questions that maybe you haven't even asked yet. But our Lord can, can answer and have those doubts and questions removed. I want to encourage you, church, that apart from our studies here on Sunday morning, can I encourage you to read this book as well? Every week... Read the book It's very simple Just take four days And read one chapter a day There's four chapters Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday Each day read that chapter It's going to take you Three to six minutes That's all The chapters are not long And if you're a slow reader Six minutes If you're a fast reader Three minutes And even if you have your own Daily devotional Please Just add this one to it Add those extra Three to six minutes to it And let the Lord speak to you Because you will As you start focusing, it's it's important that we spend some time like, you know, simmering in the book, you know, getting into the book. And as you do this, the Lord will speak to you. It will also make it easier when you come here on Sundays to absorb what is being preached. So let us dive into Colossians for the next three weeks. Amen. Let's get ourselves into it and let the Lord speak to us. Some people have said, you know, if you've read the four Gospels, what should you read next? The answer is often read Colossians. Because in the four Gospels, you read about Jesus. About Jesus the man, his life on earth, what he did, what he achieved, and his death, burial, and resurrection. But in Colossians, you get to know the magnitude of Christ now. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about the man, Jesus. When we talk about Christ, we talk about who he is, his essence. It's not just Jesus, a man. He is the Christ. Christ is not the surname of Jesus, you know, Valdir da Silva, Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. Uh, Christ is who he is. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. And it is interesting, right on that first verse of this book of Colossians, in most Bibles when you read, it talks about Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But in the Greek original, it is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. You see, because throughout this book, Paul is going to emphasize the anointed one, Christ, God. Jesus, the anointed, Jesus, God, Jesus, the Lord. Thank you so much, brother. Jesus, the Lord. That's okay. And so that is what's going to happen throughout this book. So we are looking at Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ. But the emphasis is on the anointed one, Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So please let's dive into it. Do have your daily reading or weekly reading of the book. Let's talk a little bit about the book now. Um, And I want to show you a map of the Mediterranean. And in this map, you're going to see there's a big red mark there towards the right hand side. That is where the city of Colossae was. This letter, this book of Colossians was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. When Paul wrote this letter, he was there on the top left-hand corner in Italy, in Rome. He was a prisoner there. He was in prison in house arrest, shackled. And from there, he wrote a number of letters to the church in Asia Minor. It's known today as Turkey. Okay, that whole area there now is, uh, is Turkey. This letter was written around the year 62 AD. The next map that you're going to see, you see that little rectangle there around Colossae? We're going to zoom into that rectangle. Here we are. And this is what they look, it looked like in the first century. You see Colossae there. It is underlined in red. And just above Colossae, you see another two cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those cities are mentioned in the book of Colossae. That church uh, was started by a man called Epaphras, all right? And uh, he was a man from Colossae. Now, uh, Paul did not plant this church. He never went to Colossae. He traveled through Laodicea, but he never went to Colossae. And it is apparent as you read the text that he only heard about them. And he heard... About them from the guy who planted the church, Epaphras. Now, to the left of this map, you see Ephesus over there underlined in red as well. And by the way, if you're looking at this map and you're seeing that some cities have a little star in them, those are the cities where the letters in Revelation were written to Remember Revelation chapter 2 and 3? Paul writes to the seven churches of Asia well they're all in turkey and those are the churches they're all in uh, in that area those are the, the, the with the with a star over there but in ephesus paul spent 2 years in ephesus um, teaching and training his disciples. And Epaphras seems to have been one of those guys that was in Paul's school in Ephesus. He was from Colossus. And so it seems he went back to Colossae and in Colossae he planted the church. He preached the gospel, planted the church. It seems he also did some work in Laodicea and Hierapolis as well because he had friends and brothers in Christ over there. Now... (sighs) Colossal, all right, colossal, the name of our study, colossal means extremely large or great. When something is colossal, it is big, okay? However, there is nothing colossal about Colossi, at least not in the first century, not when this letter was written. Now, Colossi had been a large city 400 years before. 400 years before Christ, Colossae was one of the top six cities in the then known world. It was one of the six biggest cities in the world. It was in the route from Ephesus to the east. And therefore, it was a commercial route, a military route. And so the city grew and prospered. However, when the Roman Empire took over, They diverted the road, so it went past Laodicea, and not Colossae anymore. So over time, Colossae began to dwindle, and Laodicea began to grow. By the time that Paul rode the city, it had become quite a smaller place. Shortly after this letter letter was written to the church in Colossae, an earthquake destroyed Colossae. They rebuilt the city again without the help of Rome. But around the year 1192, the city was completely destroyed in civil wars. And the remaining people, they moved on to Laodicea and other surrounding uh, cities. Only a few degraded ruins exist today. So, why was this letter written? Paul had not been there himself, like I said. But he had received a report from the founder of the church, Epaphras. It was going well with the church, but it was facing some dangers from strange teachings and doctrines. There was a Christian community in Colossae, but there were also Jews, there were Pagans. There was a group called Gnostics. Gnostics with a G. Gnostics. They claimed to have special knowledge and revelation. Okay. And so the city was also per- particularly known for its angel cult. Somehow Colossae had a large group of people who worshipped angels. They had a special devotion for the archangel Michael. There was this, this tradition, this story, that um, he had caused a, a, a fountain of healing water to come forth from the ground. And so he was worshipped. There was a temple to archangel Michael in that city. So they were very much into angels. So, what was colossal about a city which wasn't a big city anymore and it was filled with weird stuff? What is colossal about Colossians? Well, it's not a city. It is the revelation included in this book. Book. Did you hear that? The revelation included in this book. It tells us about a colossal Savior, Lord, Creator, and Head over all things. A book about our colossal, great, and complete salvation. It reveals a colossal church comprised of all who believe, no matter what nation or social status. Ah, Colossians reveals a colossal creator, Lord, Savior, salvation, and church. Hallelujah. And so in this series, we are going to learn about a colossal Savior. We're going to learn about a colossal authority. We're going to learn about a colossal challenge. And finally, we're going to hear about a colossal calling. So please don't miss any of these teachings. Let's begin reading. And I'm starting chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here it is, the author is Paul. He stated himself. But then he introduces Timothy as well. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote this letter towards the end of his life. And so he is presenting Timothy to this church as well as someone that the church can receive and trust. You see, he wanted to go to Colossae. But just in case he cannot get to them, he wants them to receive But now notice how Paul addresses the church. He calls them saints and faithful brethren. When he says saints, that word means holy. It means consecrated. It does not mean canonized after death. Okay? For a lot of people, even Christians, to them a saint is a good a good man or woman who lived for God and he died. And so now he gets declared a saint because you're such a good Christian. No, the Bible calls saints, those who are consecrated to God. You're born again, you've given your life to Christ. Guess what? You're a saint. Now I know that you're not a saint. I, I don't see any halo on you. You don't see any on me either. And we'll get to that. Why do we call ourselves saints when we are no saints? Huh? (laughs) We're going to find out. It's got to do with our colossal savior and salvation, by the way. Okay. But the other word he uses is faithful brethren. Faithful means steadfast. These guys were going through some tough times, but they were... Steadfast. You see, church is comprised of such people. And I trust I am talking to such people today, both here and online. I trust that, you know, it, you see, it's God who makes us saints. It, it, it's his salvation. In him, in Jesus, we are saints. God makes us saints. But we are the ones who remain faithful. Amen? He empowers us, but we bring our part as well. And that is church. Verses 3 to 8, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, (laughs) and is bringing forth fruit. As it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras. You see, there you go. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Who also declared to us the, your love in the spirit. So see, Paul had heard, it's quite clear yeah, from Epaphras who was a minister to them and who told Paul about this church and all the good things about them and of course the challenges they had, amen? Now, look at some of the characteristics. Paul, he starts by by praising the church for some of their characteristics they had and very often in Paul's letters, he does this. When he writes to a particular group of people, he praises them, he finds something good to say about them. And then he brings the correction or the teaching, whatever it is. Maybe it might be a good thing for us to learn as well. You know, sometimes when when we want to, to correct somebody or sort somebody out, we just you did this and you did you, you, you. <laughs> you know, we just tell them all the horrible things they've done. Let's rather approach the person and, and 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 praise them for a couple of things. I appreciate this about you, I appreciate this about you, I appreciate that about you. Now, can I share with you a couple of things I like to, I'm concerned about? And then you bring the correction, you bring the, huh? (laughs) So, Paul is about to give them a little bit of a year pull, but before he does that, he praises them. And what does he praise them for? Their faith in Christ. Their faith in Christ. And again, notice he mentions Christ. Yes, it's it, it Jesus Christ, we know. But you see, their faith is in the anointed one, in the Messiah, in, in, in Jesus God. Not in just Jesus, a person, a good leader, a good political leader, or a good religious leader, or a, a good moral teacher. No, it's not Jesus, the man. It is Christ, the Lord, that they put in their faith in? Who would you believe in? In Jesus, you know, the person hanging on the cross, the moral teacher, the Christian leader of 2000 years ago? Would you believe in the Christ, the anointed one, God who died for you to save you? If Jesus is not the Christ for you, he's not Jesus at all for you. He's just another person. Huh? <laughs> okay, their love, the love they had for one another, and as you're going to see later, this was a mixed group of people, very much like we are over here. They didn't all look like each other, they came from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different cultures, but they loved each other. Hallelujah! And that's the mark of the Christian church we come together, we completely different one from another, but you love each other, amen. Their hope of eternal life, their hope was in living, not enjoying uh, God's benefits in this life, but for eternity. They knew they had a place in heaven where they're going to spend eternity with God. And then he praised them for their fruitfulness. It bore the word of God, bore fruit in them and through them. In them, it was the fruit of the Spirit you know, the peace of God, love, patience, joy, and so on. But also, it bore fruit through them in reaching others with the gospel of Christ. Listen, notice that by the time this letter, letter was written, as I said, around AD 62, Paul says that in all the world, <laughs> the word of God had been preached. Huh? Paul had traveled in almost all of the Roman Empire. Therefore, most of the main centers had heard of the gospel either from Paul or from one of his disciples. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16, they call Paul and his companions those who have turned the world upside down. How how about being accused of that? I, I, I wouldn't mind that. Oh, that Valdir and his friends, they've turned Pretoria upside down. South Africa upside down. The world upside down. So Paul had been around. And he had been, but you see, it wasn't just him. I'll go get to that. Paul was also accused by the Jewish religious, religious leaders in Jerusalem of being a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. So everybody was against this guy for one thing. Preaching the gospel and taking the message out there. So the word had been around. So it seems that although not all were converted, the knowledge of the gospel had covered most of the then known world. Of course, there were other unknown parts of the world where the gospel had not reached and still had to go. But this tells us something of the diligence of the believers the first century wherever they went they shared the gospel whatever they knew they told others about they didn't say they're waiting for the apostles to come no they spread the news they started churches and then leaders elders and even the apostles would come and 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 help establish the church and give them guidance but wow they got the word out it was everybody the apostles teaching the people and the people taking the word out there and the gospel spread. When it says in all the world, this phrase also implies that the gospel is for all the world, not for a select group of people only. Amen. It's for everybody. Now, what was good for the church in Colossae is good for the church today. So let us pursue these qualities, faith in Christ, love for one another, sure hope of eternal life, fruitfulness, both the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and the fruit of helping others find faith in Christ. Amen. Let's continue verses 9 to 14. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with might according to his glorious power. For all patience and long suffering with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his life in whom we have redemption through his blood their forgiveness of sins wow listen Paul's prayer for the Colossians is a good prayer for us to pray for ourselves too for us as individuals for us as a church he prayed they might, that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will I want to know God's will aren't you <laughs> and, but that, so, but that it would happen in wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, by understanding spiritual principles, they would, have, they would have the wisdom to understand God's will. Walk worthy of the Lord. How can we walk worthy of the Lord? By pleasing Him. And He says so, so, pleasing Him. Being fruitful in good works and growing in the knowledge of God. And that's why I say spend time reading Colossians the next three weeks. Because as you read over and over and over again, you are going to grow in the knowledge of God. You may have read this book 10 times already. But as you read it one more time, and one more time, and one more time, you will see something new, something fresh. Amen and it will begin to speak to you. We grow in knowledge of God, hallelujah. Strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we we please God by doing good works. We don't do good works to get salvation. Our good works is to please God, the God we love. We do it out of love, not to earn brownie points with God, okay? And we need to be strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit. To do God's will, but also to endure suffering with patience and joy. Wow, <clears throat> can I pray for you, <laughs> Lord? Won't you help my brother and sister right now to endure suffering with patience and joy? You see, we, we're living in a day where nobody wants to hear the word suffering, we want a gospel. That continuously, continuously gives us uninterrupted health, wealth, and power. Oh yeah. Bless me, pastor. (laughs) Let's do it. And yet, Luke was writing this letter. One of the greatest and most dedicated followers of Jesus. And yet, he suffered a lot Mm. and we'll get to it because we suffer in different degrees and we'll get to that later in the letter but he also prays that they would be thankful that you are partakers of the inheritance of the saints again we, we tend to put too much emphasis on the things that makes us comfortable in this life not realizing that our inheritance includes eternal life which is much better, bigger and longer than this life. And and if we stop and you think a little bit more about that, you realize, man, this is so great. My hope is not just for this world. Yes, I've got hope for this world, I do. But it's also hope for eternity. My eternity is settled. I'm not afraid. Eternity, oh, praise God! And so, Paul declares, We have been delivered from the powers of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of His Son. We are already positionally in the kingdom of His Son, amen. Hallelujah! Praise God! We are redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, and our sins are forgiven. And now, listen to verses 15 to 20, listen very carefully. He, Jesus. is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he, Jesus, may have the preeminence, that he may be first, be in front, be on top. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth, or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now that's a mouthful. What is he talking about here? He's talking about a colossal savior, a colossal Christ, and he is presented to us in this verse. He says he is the image of God. Who is Jesus? Christ. He is the image of God. Remember when Jesus told Philip, "Why do you say show us the Father?" If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As you read the Gospels, and as you read Jesus, his words, his his character, the way he deals with people, you are watching the Father at work. Yeah, but in the Old Testament... Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at Jesus. Read about him. And what you see Jesus doing, saying, being, you are watching God. You are watching God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Oh, but I thought God created all things. Well, guess who Jesus is? He's the creator of all things. Have a look at the stars tonight. (laughs) Stars, galaxies, planets. He created all things. On your way home, observe the beautiful mountains, hills, trees, flowers. Jesus. And he's the creator of visible and invisible things. Material and spiritual. All authorities and powers were created by him and for him. Therefore, no authority or power is a threat to Jesus. No devil, no demon in hell is a threat to Jesus. Hello? Ooh, I'm so scared of the devil. Oh, ah, really? He's no, he's no threat to Jesus. And he's your savior. Mm, 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 mm. He's before all things and by him all things consist. That is, Jesus is holding this whole universe together. We are here breathing and alive and, and this planet has not exploded and gone floating a thousand places because Jesus is holding it alive. He's keeping all these stars and galaxies in their orbits. Yeah, but you know, the scientist says there are these laws of attraction da, 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 and that, that keep them. Yeah, of course, God, he created laws that keep these things going. But God still needs to maintain them. Otherwise, stuff goes funny. <laughs> okay? Jesus is keeping this whole universe on the go. Now, this magnificent, this colossal Jesus is also the head of the church to which you and I belong. And no, I'm not talking about Awaken Life Church. (laughs) I'm talking about the universal gathering of all believers. His church of which Awaken Life Church is a part. There is a universal church made up of all the followers of Christ across the world. But it's a little bit difficult for all billions of us to come together, right? <laughs> and so we gather in smaller groups called what? Local churches. And someone says, yeah, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Nah, full of hypocrites, you know, funny people. Weird people go to church. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. I don't like the church pastor so-and-so, and elder so-and-so, and sister so-and-so, and brother so-and. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you keep on talking about the church, think of whose it is. It's not your church, not my church, not the pastor's church, not the apostle's church. It is his church. Hello? <laughs> we had better belong to a church because you are the church. You cannot follow Christ, be part of the church, and not belong to a church. Not have brothers and sisters, not be connected somewhere, serving somewhere, worshiping somewhere, knowing who your brothers and sisters are. I, I'm, I'm saying what it says there. It says he is the head of the church. Amen. And Jesus, listen to this. Jesus calls the church his body. Ooh, 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 ooh. If I come to you and say, I like your face, but I don't like your body, you're not going to be very impressed. Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your body. That church. Just saying, guys. <laughs> Amen. What else? He's the firstborn of the dead. The first man to die and come back in an eternal body, which all who follow Jesus will also receive one day. You see, it pleased God the Father that the fullness of God, everything that God is, would be dwelling in Jesus. Through the cross, through the death death of Jesus, his burial and resurrection, all things past and present on heaven and the earth were reconciled to him. For those who are believers in Christ, for those who are in the body, in his church, there is now peace. Amen. The day is coming where the full revelation of the meaning of this reality will be manifest. Right now, it is by faith that we do this. And through faith, we get to experience a portion of the fullness of Christ. But when Jesus returns one day, man, it's going to be full manifestation. Full glory, full peace, righteousness, justice, man, you name it. Hallelujah. And this is indicated in the following verses, 21 to 23. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And listen, what happened to the Colossians has also happened to us. To every one of us who has given his or her life to Jesus Christ. We have been what? Reconciled to God. And this speaks of a colossal salvation. Listen. Yet is says in the word here that enemies of God. They were enemies of God because of their conduct. The way they thought. The way they behaved. Enemies of God have now been declared friends of God. Hmm. The wicked are now declared blameless. Can you imagine that? This is what God is doing. You see, most of the people reading this letter in the first century, they were new believers. They had lived religious lives outside of the Christian faith. Either Jewish legalism or pagan religions worshipping idols. Many had had ungodly lives. They had been, therefore, enemies of God in their beliefs and thoughts and conduct, But now, Paul says, they have been reconciled, united to God by their faith in Jesus. Now, they were holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. What a colossal salvation. Come on they are then instructed to continue in the faith and not be moved by the opposition that they were getting, nor by the false teachers that were trying to infiltrate into the church. Now, this is part of our suffering. To stand our ground when it seems that everybody else thinks it is ridiculous. Huh? There are some things in the Bible, if you believe them, everybody else thinks, are oh, you crazy? I stated just now, Jesus is the creator of all things. <laughs> and some people says, are oh, you crazy? Don't you know that the earth evolved over billions of years? And humans come from blah, 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 blah. And they think you're crazy to think that God created all things. That God made you. God made man. It is part of our suffering to stand our ground when it seems everybody else thinks it is ridiculous. When they mock us, make fun of us, ridicule us, even persecute, sideline and make life difficult for us. In some cases they hurt us, imprison us or kill us for the faith. I am saying us because I identify with the universal church of Jesus Christ. While we can practice our faith fairly freely here in South Africa, we have brothers in other nations whose lives are in danger simply because they believe that Jesus is Lord. As Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. For his faith in Jesus as Lord. That's his crime. That's why he's in prison. Yet, instead of being despondent and discouraged, Paul is using his time to encourage other believers. He is rejoicing in his sufferings, knowing that his suffering is producing fruit in people's lives. Paul has embraced his sufferings. Listen to him, verses 24 to 26. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Wow and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Now when Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. When you quickly read this, at first reading, you you may think that Paul here is saying that, you know, Christ didn't suffer enough. And therefore, I've got to suffer a little bit more to complete the sufferings of Christ. And so Paul now must... Suffer a bit more to complete what Christ didn't complete in suffering. This interpretation has led some Christians to practice self-flagellation. Where they beat themselves, where they hurt themselves in the flesh. They physically hurt themselves to complete their salvation. Like Christ didn't suffer enough, so let me finish now the suffering in my flesh to complete my salvation. Salvation. Disbelief has also led some Christians to put a great emphasis in good works and sacrificial works in an effort to complete the suffering of Christ and to complete their salvation. In other words, they believe faith in Christ is not enough. I have to add personal suffering to my faith. I went had to minister to a man. He had been given days to live, and I went to see him in the hospital. And I started to ask him some questions you know, about his faith in Jesus, his faith in God, and has he given his life to Jesus? He believed in Jesus, died for his sons, Lord. He, he gave me all the right answers, but he was not at peace. He was not ready to die. And I said, my brother, but you know, you believe in Jesus. You know, you've given your life to him, you believe he died for you. You believe he is your savior. Then why, aren't you, why don't you have peace in your heart? He says, I haven't suffered enough. The man's got cancer. Okay? He's dying of it. And he tells me, I haven't suffered enough. I haven't done enough good works. And he starts bringing out the list. I said, my brother, look what the word says. I began to open the word and show him. Scripture after Scripture. It's faith. Those who believe in him have eternal life. You know, God's love the whole world. Those who believe in him, not perish. As I read the scriptures, his eyes became bigger and bigger. And he said, do you mean that I'm ready to die? you mean that I'm saved? <laughs> do you mean that? I said, yeah, brother. I'm not saying the word is saying it. Your faith in Jesus, I saved you. He says, thank you. <laughs> we prayed together. And three days later he peacefully passed on. The man was in agony because somebody told him, Yeah, believe in Jesus, amen. But you must also suffer. You haven't done enough. You must do good works. You must suffer. You must Mm-mm. 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 That is not what Paul is saying yet at all. Paul is saying that he is fully aware that due to his calling and due to the world and the reality that he lives in, he will suffer for his faith, for his beliefs, and for openly preaching the gospel. He was very much aware that as much as he had suffered already, there was still more suffering to come. He knew it. He called his sufferings the afflictions of Christ. Perhaps in one of his many encounters with Jesus, Paul may have been told by Jesus how much he's going to suffer. Remember, Jesus told Peter how much he was going to suffer in the end of his life. Peter was warned. And maybe Paul was warned as well. And so he knew, as much as I have suffered, I've got more to go. I haven't completed my list yet. There's more coming. And there was. Hmm. So Paul knew that the measure of his suffering was not full yet. But he was quite willing to suffer because he knew the result of his suffering. He knew the result would be in terms of blessing others. And then he talks about this mystery which had been hidden, has been hidden for ages, but now has been revealed. Verses 29, 27, 29. To them, to the church, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach Warning every man And teaching every man And woman In all wisdom That we may present every man Perfect in Christ Jesus To this end I also labor Striving according to his working Which works in me mightily And here is the focus of Paul's life The focus of Paul's life Paul's life focus To preach to all And to warn everyone. The focus of Paul's life, Paul's focus. The preaching, preaching the mystery of God to the Gentiles and warning everyone not to to ignore this message. And what is the message? Christ in them, the hope of glory. In other words, Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance. That you will share in his glory. If Christ lives in you, you can be sure that you will share in his glory. Oh, but I haven't done enough. I haven't been good enough. I haven't suffered enough. I haven't given enough money to the church. I I don't care what you haven't. It's what you have that matters. Christ in you. Hope of glory. Now, of course, that's going to cause you to praise God and to do something for Him. But it's not a burden. It's a joy. You do it out of gratitude. You're doing what you can, when you can, while you can. <laughs> but you're doing motivated by gratitude and joy. Not because you oh, I've got to do something to get my salvation. huh? <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, Gentiles had always felt excluded from anything Jewish. The Jews had a belief that the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior, would come only for the Jews. And even today, Jews who are not Christians, still, some of them still believe that. They, they're hoping that the Messiah will come for the Jews. But there was a mystery hidden for many centuries, which 2000 years ago was revealed. And here's the mystery. Anyone who is in Christ has the hope of glory. Anyone in Christ has eternal life. (laughs) Both Jews and Gentiles are welcome. And Paul felt it was his calling to reveal this hidden or, or secret plan of God to everybody, Gentiles and Jews. This plan had been hidden for centuries, but now had been revealed in Christ Jesus. And Paul was going to tell everyone about it. His desire was to present the believers in Colossae complete in Christ. In other words, by faith in Christ alone, you are complete before God. You are perfect before God. Not because you never make mistakes, but because you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ... And I look at you, I don't see you, I see Christ. And therefore, before God, you are perfect, you are complete. And that's what Paul is trying to do, present, help them to understand. In Christ, they are complete. Any changes that need to come, come because of this and after this. But as long as you're in Christ, even while you are still being changed, in God's eyes, you are complete. Come on, give him a clap offering. This is, man, Christ is the great, the colossal Savior. What a colossal salvation! Embracing anyone who would believe. And Paul had a calling to preach this message of grace to a world steeped in idolatry, in immorality, in false beliefs, and uh, religious legalism. That was his focus. And he gave his life for it. prepared to suffer for his faith, even to die for his faith. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world today filled with many philosophies and religions. They're all give you a list of things that you have to do to be saved or to appease evil spirits or to satisfy your ancestors, to break curses in your life or to attract good luck and good things to your life. Hmm? God speaks to us through his word today and says, Christ is enough. Did you hear that? Christ is enough no one else nothing else needed no amulets, pendants, things on the wall rituals, nothing next, Christ is enough hallelujah now you may not have been called to be an apostle missionary or pastor but every Christian, every member of the body of Christ his church is called to be focused in living a life of faith Reflecting the life of Je- the love of Jesus and bearing fruit which is pleasing to God. And if you choose to live this life focused on Jesus, trusting Him alone to complete you and present you blameless before God, you will meet challenges, you will be confronted with opposition and heresies. They may come from your family, they may come from your friends. They may come from your colleagues at work. They may come through social media, news, pressure from society. But you're going to get it. In chapter 2, Paul instructs the Colossians as to how to face faith challenges and confront Heresies. That will be the subject of our message next week as we look at the colossal authority of Jesus. Do not miss it. Amen? Meantime... Read this book this week. One chapter a day for four days. That's it. And you'll do it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let him give you understanding and wisdom as you read these chapters. And as I close, let me ask you. Is Jesus sufficient for you? Is your faith for this life and the next fully placed on Jesus? Do you have a patron saint, a man or woman of God who lived a holy life when they were alive and now you look to them for protection and guidance. Let me proclaim to you and warn you as Paul did. Jesus is all that you need. Do not look at anything or anyone else for spiritual guidance or for protection. Amen. Remember what happens when you give your life to Jesus. Enemies of God are declared friends of God. The wicked are declared blameless. (laughs) What else do you need? And so as we pray now, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, why not do it right now completely? If you are a believer, but you're still holding on to other stuff, other things, I want you to understand today that you are free. You don't need that kind of bondage. Christ is is all you need. Turn away from those beliefs. Focus only on Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and let us pray. Oh Lord, hallelujah. As your word has gone forth, Lord, I pray that it will resonate in the hearts of everyone listening, watching. Everyone here, everyone online. And if you have not committed your life to Jesus yet, right now, just say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you. I surrender my life to you. I put my trust in you and you alone as my complete savior, as the Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sins, Lord. Thank you for your salvation now, for your forgiveness now. If you're a Christian but you've been holding to other things, right now say, Lord Jesus, I realize today that I have been in bondage. Forgive me, Lord. I put away, I turn away from all those other things that are holding me back. I will trust only in you, Lord, and in your word. I trust in you for my salvation. Hallelujah. And Lord, I pray, Father, for everyone who has made one of those prayers. I pray for every one of us who are standing as believers. Lord, we are surrounded by so much deceit. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to remain standing in you. To remain faithful in you, my God. As the church of Colossae was being saints and faithful, Lord, help us to be those people as well. In Jesus' name, my God. And as we go through the study, as we continue to study this book, help all of us, God, to be even further established and grounded in your word. For your glory and honor, we pray. Amen. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of you, each one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Praise God. Come on, give Him glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. A wonderful week. And read Colossians. Amen. See you next Sunday for chapter 2. God bless you. Amen.